Hey, hey, you. Yeah, you. I'm looking at you. And I'm talking to you. The guy who thinks his tweets are clever. Sending out the following. What Fantasy Mansion did to at Sigmund Bloom on the Roto Underworld podcast was straight and then a gif of Jesus hanging on the cross in the rain. You think that's clever, don't you? You think that's clever. It's not clever to mention me in a tweet taunting other analysts. It's just not. But I see this time and time again. You just can't let a podcast sit on its own and be out there in the world for those that want to listen to it and those that don't want to listen to it don't need to know about its existence. You don't need to call attention to it. That's my job to call attention to the podcast. I'm marketing the podcast. Feel free to tell your friends to listen to it, of course. But many of you don't do that either. Oh, yes, I've heard this as well. Well, I love the podcast and I'd love to share my enthusiasm for the podcast with others, but I don't want my league mates to find out about playerprofiler.com. I don't want my league mates to find out about Roto Underworld Radio, so I'm not going to tell anyone about it. (laughs) I've heard that plenty of times. So I'm out here marketing into a headwind. Oh, you should be fine. Word of mouth. You'll be fine. You barely need to market at all. Your website is so engaging and so interesting. You barely need to market it. You'll get plenty of traffic on word of mouth alone, except there is no word of mouth because everyone's trying to keep Player Profiler and Roto Underworld Radio a secret. Unless they're taunting Sigmund Bloom on Twitter, which is just lame. Because inevitably, my message gets mischaracterized, oversimplified by the narcs in this audience. Because when you tweet at Sigmund Bloom that Matt Kelly just ended him with flame emojis, that's doing this podcast a disservice. If word gets back to Sigmund Bloom that he should listen to the show and he listens to the show, that's fine. Because I know what I said and it was not insulting. But when you tweet at him, you bother him and insult him. And the need to tweet at him is curious to me. Where does that need come from? This pathetic need to insert yourself where you don't belong. But that's what these inconsequential narc trolls do to attract attention. They attract attention by antagonizing people who they are inferior to. That's why it's pathetic. And you do me a disservice because you distill my message down to something that becomes a distant remnant from what I actually said. Because what I actually did was provide a robust critique of behavior, explaining how Sigmund Bloom's behavior on Twitter is akin to Ehrlich Bachman from Pied Piper and Aviato and an octopus recipe app that became the Shazam for food with a particular knack for identifying hot dogs that became an online penis finder. What I'm doing on this show is criticizing behavior. I don't name call and I don't make fun of how people look except Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo is the exception. I will own that. I broke the decorum of Roto Underworld Radio by mocking how Ben McAdoo looks and I will continue to do it because Ben McAdoo changed his look again this offseason. He no longer has the prominent goatee and he's decided to put gel in his hair. So Ben McAdoo went from looking like a truck driver that loves rocking out to Leonard Skinner to a truck driver that loves picking up hitchhikers who never return. Now, speaking of buzzards, we had a buzzard right in. I don't understand why you're touting Marlon Mack. 
There are plenty of backfield situations like in Indianapolis where you won't see a lead back emerge if the starter gets hurt. Or at the very least, there will be no three down back. Turbin could be the main guy, not Mac. Thanks for that. The problem is, that's not your idea. That's not your original thought. You plagiarized that from J.J. Zacharyson. If you're going to email me, and you can all email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com, at least be original. You're going to send me a buzzard email and plagiarize the whole thing? I would like original thoughts, thoughts of your own on the matter. Or is that your thing? You email me with some obscure passage from Twitter, and then you pretend to pawn it off as your own, as if it's your own idea, just to impress some girl, embarrass my friend? Well, the sad thing is but a guy like you, is that in 50 years, you're going to start doing some thinking of your own. And you're going to come up with the fact that there are two certainties in life. One, don't do that. And two, you dropped 150 grand on a fucking education you could have got for $1.50 in late charges at the local public library. And no, I don't think Robert Turbin is going to be the guy if Frank Gore gets hurt. Of course I don't think that, because if I thought that... I wouldn't be touting Marlon Mack, would I? I mean, I would be touting Robert Durbin. But that is my job, to make these decisions. And they are subjective and speculative. And that's okay, because that's my job. That's why I'm here, to make these subjective, speculative decisions. And I've already conceded the fact that if... Frank Gore goes down, Robert Turbin could capture up to 40% of the opportunity share in Indianapolis, and Marlon Mack will still be an incredible fantasy asset. The same is true with the New Orleans Saints and Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara does not have to be a three-down workhorse operating in the New Orleans Saints offense any more than Marlon Mack needs to be a three-down workhorse to be fantasy viable in the Indianapolis Colts offense. It's a false choice. You have to choose backs like Tevin Coleman, who will definitely be a three-down workhorse in the event of an injury ahead of them in the depth chart. You don't need that if the offense is prolific enough. Like we saw with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman last season, you have two running backs operating together in a prolific offense. They can both be incredible fantasy assets. That's the reason why you draft both Frank Gore and Marlon Mack in all formats, because I believe Marlon Mack will have a role similar to Tevin Coleman in 2017. And Marlon Mack is a similar talent to Tevin Coleman. Marlon Mack is one of the most explosive and athletic running backs in the 2017 class, and he landed in the perfect situation on the Indianapolis Colts that do not have a number three wide receiver of consequence, that do not have an athletic tight end other than Eric Swoop, who is raw and a converted basketball player, specializing in the intermediate routes. The Colts are the perfect team for Marlon Mack to land on and be a satellite back in year one and then convert to a bell cow back in year two. And as a satellite back in year one, I believe they're going to line up Marlon Mack all over the field. They'll play him in the slot. They'll have him go out in motion. And they'll play him in the backfield on third down and in the two-minute drill and hurry-up offenses. 
These are high leverage situations where Marlon Mack can become fantasy viable. That's why I believe he has standalone value and he's not a pure handcuff like James Conner. That's why I'm drafting both Frank Gore and Marlon Mack and I'm not drafting Robert Turbin because Robert Turbin is a pure handcuff. Robert Turbin will absolutely be a fantasy asset if Frank Gore gets hurt, but only if Frank Gore gets hurt. That's the difference. Marlon Mack is a fantasy asset regardless because the Colts used fourth round draft capital on him and he has an all-purpose, all-terrain skill set. He's electric in space and he's a dynamic runner between the tackles and outside the tackles. I believe he's better than Frank Gore now in all phases, but he's a rookie and it takes time for rookies to get acclimated and 2017 will be that transition period in Indianapolis between the Frank Gore era and the Marlon Mack era. But Marlon Mack is not being drafted in dynasty leagues as if he's the future in Indianapolis. I just drafted Marlon Mack in the third round of a dynasty rookie draft yesterday. Shocked. It was shocking. In the second half of the third round. (laughs) Outside the top 30 picks. There were a handful of veterans in this draft, like Jack Doyle and Cameron Meredith, who weren't drafted the year prior, but please, please, I just don't see how it's possible that a player like Kareem Hunt can be drafted in the late first, early second round, and Marlon Mack stays on the board until the late third round. I just feel like no one has gone to playerprofiler.com and typed in the letters M-A-R-L-O-N-M-A-C-K. He's an incredibly impressive prospect, and he's landed in an incredible situation. What am I missing? I mean, email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com, and try not to plagiarize other fantasy analysts in the process. I mean, it's just, it's insane. And Marlon Mack is operating behind Frank Gore, the 34-year-old Frank Gore, who's being held together with duct tape And bailing twine? If there's a rookie running back that you want to own, it's the running back behind Frank Gore. Frank Gore will eclipse 3,500 touches this year. 3,500 touches. 3,500! But because he continues to beat the odds, fantasy gamers become less and less confident that Frank Gore is ever going to go away, even though every year he becomes more and more likely to go away forever. I believe at some point this season, Frank Gore will leave fantasy football and never be heard from again. But it's strange because he keeps beating the odds. And yet that doesn't prove that he's immortal. Just because he keeps beating the odds doesn't make him more likely to beat them again this year. He's less likely to beat them this year because he's an even more extreme outlier at 34 than he was at 33. And he now has consecutive seasons of highly inefficient play on his resume. The case is building against Frank Gore. But no one's interested in drafting Marlon Mack. (laughs) It's just bizarre. By many measures, Marlon Mack, a more impressive prospect than Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook lands on the Minnesota Vikings, perhaps the worst situation for a running back in all of fantasy outside the LA Rams. And Dalvin Cook is a top five pick in dynasty rookie drafts. Marlon Mack can't even get drafted in the first two rounds. (laughs) 
I feel like I'm short-circuiting. I feel like I'm a robot that is pouring water on me and all my shirt and all my circuits are being fried. What's happening? And if Frank Gore goes down, even getting a 50% opportunity share, Marlon Mack would be a solid RB2 in fantasy because he's on the Colts, not the 49ers. That's the critical aspect of backfield drafting. Just focus on the prolific offenses. Backfield drafting the Rams or the Bears or the Dolphins or the Jets makes no fucking sense. I am much more certain about the situation that Adrian Peterson finds himself in in New Orleans, that Marlon Mack finds himself in in Indianapolis, that Ty Montgomery finds himself in in Green Bay. I'm much more certain about those situations than I am any individual player's ability. I know the opportunity that Ty Montgomery could win in Green Bay. But I know that I am pretty clueless about Jordan Howard's talent level. And if anyone pretends to have certainty about Jordan Howard's talent level, they're a fraud. Because we don't know. We've talked about this on consecutive shows. The ambiguity of the running back position. Because it's a symbiotic relationship, highly dependent on the supporting cast and the situation, it's very difficult to detangle a running back's ability from all of those external forces that influence him. But there is no doubt about the opportunity that awaits a starting running back for the Green Bay Packers or the New Orleans Saints or the Atlanta Falcons or the Dallas Cowboys or the San Diego Chargers or the New England Patriots. And it's in this context that I want to talk about Tariq Cohen because I continue to get questions about Tariq Cohen. It's very interesting. On the Patreon message board, the place that drives conversations for this show, go to patreon.com, type in Podfather, and join the community. Not only do you get a Roto Underworld t-shirt or hoodie, which are great, 50-50 blend shirts, so comfortable, incredible. I know because I have to pay for each one to be made. You also get access to our Backstage Pass show, an extra show every week, and you get to be part of this online Patreon community, which drives the topics for the show the patrons create the agenda for roto underworld radio and i saw multiple posts asking questions about Tariq cohen what are my thoughts on Tariq cohen well why should i be excited about Tariq cohen i don't understand why i'm excited about the satellite back that plays for the chicago bears who project to have a rookie quarterback starting significant games this season the chicago bears are an anemic offense and you don't want the satellite back on the anemic offense when you look for satellite backs you want the next reggie bush you don't want lance dunbar lance dunbar is worthless because while he's fast and he has an exciting profile on the right team on the rams he has a very low fantasy ceiling i mean i love lance dunbar 40.6 college dominator at North Texas, an exceptional college target share, and a 1094 93rd percentile agility score. What's not to like about Lance Dunbar? His team. That's what's not to like. You put Lance Dunbar on the San Diego Chargers and install him in that Danny Woodhead satellite back roll. Woo-hoo-hoo! I am on board. I am the conductor of that hype train. But on the Rams, he's useless. So maybe Tariq Cohen's good, maybe he's not. It doesn't matter because he's on the Bears. But even if Tariq Cohen were not on the Bears, let's say he were on the Steelers, he's 5'6", 179. I mean, Lance Dunbar's 5'8", 191. 179 is incredibly small. An interesting thing about Tariq Cohen is he has a very low burst score, 112.6, 18th percentile. 
and we don't have his agility score. So we don't know how good Tariq Cohen actually is. We know Lance Dunbar's good. Above average burst and speed and exceptional agility to go along with the college production. We don't have nearly that level of certainty with Tariq Cohen. Because he's so small, his best comparable player is LaRod Stevens Howling, the last 5'6", 180-pound player we saw that runs a 4'4", But I do think he's better than LaRod Stevens-Howling because he was much more productive at the college level, and it doesn't matter because he's on the Bears. And you might say, well, you said you want multiple running backs on teams with great offensive lines, and the Bears have a great offensive line. Well, that is true. I know it's true because I have the playerprofiler.com data analysis tool. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, and you can sort all players by offensive line efficiency. And there you will see the Bears have a top five run blocking unit compared with the LA Rams, one of the league's worst run blocking units. But the offensive line grade is not nearly as important for the satellite back as it is for the between the tackles pounder. It matters for Isaiah Crowell that the Browns are going to have one of the best run blocking units in the league this year. That really matters for Isaiah Crowell, even if the Browns will not have a high scoring offense. It doesn't much matter for Dunbar or Cohen whether or not the Rams or the Bears can run block because they're receiving the ball in space out away from the scrum in the middle. The satellite backs are typically more efficient because they're circumventing the chaos in the middle of the field where all those offensive linemen and defensive linemen and linebackers are operating and oftentimes the defenders disrupting the play. Satellite backs don't have to worry about that. They flare out, they catch the pass in the flat, they have one guy to beat. Offensive line doesn't matter. So the one benefit that a running back on the Bears would have in the offensive line is nullified by Tariq Cohen's role. So I don't see any reason why I would invest in a player like Tariq Cohen. If I'm in a dynasty league and I'm drafting a running back, I'm much more likely to draft a running back like D'Angelo Henderson. D'Angelo Henderson has a chance to become the every down workhorse in Denver this season. It's a shallow depth chart with only the perennially overrated C.J. Anderson and the underrated yet unproven Devontae Booker ahead of him. And D'Angelo Henderson, like Tariq Cohen, was a monster producer at a small school, but he has the size and explosiveness that Tariq Cohen does not. So if I'm drafting one of these FCS school running backs, I'm selecting D'Angelo Henderson and I'm ignoring Tariq Cohen. You might say, well, it's a PPR league. PPR league, PPR league. PPR, PPR, PPR. Point per reception. How long are you going to be in a PPR league? How long is your dynasty league going to be PPR? Because every year I read this smoldering criticism of PPR leagues on Twitter. Here's an example. Why should a reception that lost seven yards be worth more than a two-yard rush? Every year, the critics of PPR leagues rattle the cage in June and July. Every year. It's like clockwork. You could set your watch to June 23rd, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and you will read tweets criticizing the PPR format. Why? Because it doesn't mimic real-life football. Because it awards a negative play more than it awards a positive play. Understood. And it's missing the point because... Fantasy football leagues are not trying to mimic real football. If fantasy leagues were trying to align their scoring to mimic real football, then only touchdowns would count in fantasy leagues. And if you're counting yards, then quarterback yards and running back yards would count the same, and they don't. 
You're mad that fantasy football scoring is arbitrary? (laughs) That's not going to change ever. Yeah, PPR scoring is pretty arbitrary, but so is yardage scoring. And they have leagues that are just touchdowns, and they're awful. But feel free to go play in those leagues if you don't like arbitrary scoring formats. At the end of the day, we just want our players scoring fantasy points. That's it. The more actions on the football field that we can find to be rewarded, the better. We just want our players ringing up points when they're involved in plays on the football field. That's it. They're involved in a touchdown, six points. They're involved in a first down, award extra points for first downs. Award extra points for carries. I don't care. If it shows up in the box score, award points for it. Why not? I'm not a PPR zealot. I'm just a lover of fantasy points. And PPR formats allow you to score more fantasy points, and that's a good thing. I just want fantasy points. The more, the better. I would love it if quarterbacks would score a fantasy point every 10 yards with six points per touchdown. I would love it if all positions were awarded points for first downs. Why not? We should make all positions consistent and make everything that happens on the football field score lots of points. And all the good players should be scoring 40 points a game.